Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 461 for September 20th, 2015. This week, Microsoft Security Essentials catches most malware that's in the wild, but is relatively weak when it comes to identifying new types of threats. Some antivirus programs use too many system resources, and others display bothersome messages and try to sell you new services. We need something, but what? Windows 10 has generally been a solid performer for most people. That doesn't mean I haven't encountered annoyances, and some people have found serious problems. We'll take a look at some of the annoyances I've found. In short circuits, most Americans think the presidential campaign next year will be hacked, DEFCON Cyber scores your security risks, and Intel wants to be inside your mirror, your dress, and your bra. In spare parts, only on the website, OpenText delivers analytics in the cloud, Local Year expands but still hasn't come to Central Ohio, and Shakespeare comes to your smartphone. I've used a vast antivirus for several years, but it created an insurmountable problem on my wife's computer after she upgraded the system to Windows 10. I didn't see that problem on other computers, but I like to maintain the same protective applications on all of the computers I deal with. Initially, I dropped back to Microsoft Security Essentials. And although MSE catches virtually all in-the-wild malware, it doesn't include the extra features that third-party applications add. That's too bad because it seems to me that the best source of protective software is the developer of the operating system that needs to be protected. Listener Nicholas Becquet in Germany suggested that I take a look at Bitdefender, so I did. As with many third-party protective applications, Bitdefender has a family rate for multiple computers and also has applications, maybe too many of them, for smartphones. Bitdefender offers an autopilot option. In autopilot mode, Bitdefender automatically fixes critical issues, enables and quietly manages antivirus protection, firewall protection, privacy protection, and automatic updates. Bitdefender says that this is for all the users who want nothing more from their security solution than to be protected without being bothered. Bitdefender 2015, they say, has been designed with a built-in autopilot mode, and while on autopilot, Bitdefender applies an optimal security configuration and makes all security-related decisions for you. This means you will see no pop-ups, no alerts, and you will not have to configure any settings whatsoever. I'm not really a big fan of letting the software make all the decisions, so I turned that off. The company's total security option includes features I'll never use, but it also includes features that I thought would be helpful, so that's what I selected. The installation went well, and everything seemed to work normally. That's always a good sign, but it's not always definitive. After two weeks, I have managed to get Bitdefender working, more or less, but it hasn't been easy. Working with Bitdefender's support team, I uninstalled the application, twice, 
and reinstalled it twice, although the installer claimed to have turned off Microsoft Security Essentials, which it should have done, and Windows Firewall, which it also should have done, initially both continued to run, and that makes a mess of a computer. In fact, even now, MSE is shown in the settings panel as on, and it's grayed out, so I can't change it. But at least now the computer isn't as slow as it previously was, and the Windows Firewall is off as it should be. But to get Bitdefender to operate properly, I had to uninstall Malwarebytes protective applications. You don't want to have two antivirus applications active, or two firewalls. But Malwarebytes has always been known as an application that worked well in conjunction with antivirus applications. Bitdefender Total Security 2015 does seem to have a good selection of other protective functions, though. The Antivirus tab offers a quick scan that'll take just a few minutes, and a system scan that'll take a long time, possibly several hours, depending on how big your disk drives are. There's an option to manage scans and a rescue mode. Web protection includes a search advisor that I found to be essentially useless, but the anti-fraud and anti-phishing features are helpful. A vulnerability scan will check for old versions of applications, ones that may have security problems. The firewall selection allows blocking of connection sharing and port scans. If you're on a computer that uses Wi-Fi, there's an option to monitor those connections too. Intrusion detection can block attempts to change system files or registry entries, and the user has the option of choosing permissive, that's the default, medium, or aggressive security. The anti-spam option doesn't work with my preferred email program, so I haven't been able to check that out. When it comes to privacy, the file shredder option will delete a file and then overwrite the disk drive with random characters to eliminate any trace of the file. The wallet function and SafePay attempt to protect your online financial transactions. I found both of those so annoying that I turned them off. ID theft protection monitors various databases to watch for changes. I'm not entirely certain that this really has any value, and if you really want it to work, it costs extra. Parental control allows parents to keep their children from accessing so-called dangerous sites, however you happen to define dangerous. As the father of two daughters, I have never considered this to be a particularly good solution to anything. File encryption allows users to encrypt files and store them in the Bitdefender vault. Limited amount of space available. If you want more, it costs more. In a Tools section, the one-click optimizer deletes cookies that I'd prefer to keep. As a result of this misguided behavior, I receive warning messages from Facebook and other sites when I log on. Bitdefender should know better, and I do not recommend using this tool, which I consider idiotic. Startup Optimizer is about equal to the built-in Windows function, which is inferior to Startup Delayer, so I would recommend not using it. Disk Defragmenter is not needed if you have a solid-state drive. Bitdefender seems to be smart enough to skip any SSDs it finds, and it recommends defragmentation be run only on drives that actually need it. The Registry Cleaner seems to be no more effective than the CC Registry Cleaner, Registry Recovery essentially duplicates functions that are available from Windows, and the Duplicate Finder looks for files that appear in more than one location. And that's not all. Bitdefender also has lots of free and paid applications designed to protect mobile devices, 
It is, in fact, a confusing array of applications. The options for smartphones are so numerous that I'm going to wait until later to review them. The bottom line for Bitdefender Total Security 2015 is four cats. Despite setup difficulties and some small annoyances, Bitdefender does seem to work pretty well. All protective software seems to go overboard these days. In the old days, I used Norton, or Symantec, products, but they began to consume too many system resources, and I switched to AVG. After a few years, AVG started to slow the system unacceptably, and by then Norton had cleaned up its act, so I switched back for a while. For the past several years, I've been using Avast, but it created problems with at least one of the computers upgraded to Windows 10, and it really displayed too many advertisements, even in the paid version. Bitdefender has a very high rating, and although it seems to be less resource-intensive than many applications and less likely to display advertisements, some of its default settings are annoying. I really wish something better was available, but for now I'm using and cautiously recommending Bitdefender. You'll find additional details on the Bitdefender website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I found Windows 10 to be a solid performer. That's not to say it's perfect. This might be a good time to consider some of the oddities I've seen or heard about from people I trust. Most of the problems haven't been serious, but some of them can be annoying. My objective here is not to damn Windows 10, or to praise it for that matter, but only to point out that operating systems are designed and built by humans, and therefore they are subject to errors. So let's take a look at the blue screen of death. That can be frightening. My wife has seen one of these on her notebook computer. Because the default is for Windows to restart the computer after just a few seconds, she wasn't able to jot down the reference number. I modified the settings so that if it happens again, the system will wait to restart so she can write down the error number. Now, I could have checked the system log, but I usually wait for an event such as this to occur a second time before expending much effort to determine what caused it. And so far, it hasn't happened again. My guess is that it was a device driver that hadn't yet been updated. Although I classified this as frightening, it's essentially a non-event if it doesn't happen again. In the slightly annoying category, the screen timeout resets to 15 minutes on my notebook computer. When the notebook computer is plugged in, I'd like to have the screen stay on for an hour before blanking. I've modified the power settings several times, and something always resets 60 minutes to 15 minutes. This is truly an example of a trivial problem. All I have to do is click the mouse or tap a key to restore power to the screen. Still, it's annoying that something changes a setting I have specifically established. This problem is known generally, if not particularly common. It can be resolved by using the system policy editor, but Lenovo provided the home version of Windows with that notebook computer, and the home version of Windows doesn't have a system policy editor. I haven't seen the problem on any other computer. The one-hour setting remains in effect until I reboot the computer and reverts back to 15 minutes. So is this a problem? Well, not really. 
It's an annoyance, and even just barely at that. A couple of related problems that I consider distressing. The control panel wouldn't start one day, and I wasn't able to get the command window to open. Now this one could be serious, and I have seen it on both my primary desktop system and a notebook system. Google tells me that this is a problem that predates Windows 10. Reports of the problem date all the way back to 2009. Each time I've seen the error, I've been able to fix it by starting CC Cleaner's Registry Cleaner. The first time the problem occurred, I spent several hours trying to determine what exactly had happened. The system file checker reported no corruption, and I was able to start other copies of command.exe. Running the registry cleaner was essentially grasping at a straw, but it worked on the desktop system twice and on the notebook computer. This is the problem I consider the most serious one I've seen because it suggests an instability in the registry. Additionally, accessing the command prompt is essential when trying to debug certain problems. The fact that I've been able to fix it with relative ease, that I know a workaround involving a reserve copy of command.exe, and that Windows PowerShell can execute standard commands doesn't make it any less serious. This is a problem that few other users have seen. Here's one. Search is supposed to be a lot better in Windows 10. And it is on most computers. Pressing the Windows key and typing CON should display Control Panel near the top of the list. And it did for a while, but after installing Bitdefender Total Security 2015, that wasn't the case. Although it would be tempting to blame Bitdefender for this, Windows and other applications were updated around the same time. So let's not engage in the logical post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy. Just because B happened after A doesn't mean that A caused B. Whenever I clicked the Windows key and started typing, I'd get a message that said, we're getting search ready. And when I checked indexing options in the control panel, it told me 598 items had been indexed, indexing complete. 598 items? This is a computer with something like 2.5 terabytes of data, and it found only 598 items? Really? Microsoft's community forum suggested running the system file checker, which reported no errors. System file checker is essentially always the first thing you want to go to. Well, then I drilled down through the control panel to indexing options and found the computer's logical drives were not included, so I added them. Search then began working as expected, but that's not really the end of the story. On a second computer, also running Windows 10 Pro 64-bit, search works just fine, and the logical drives are not specified in the list of included locations on that computer. The second computer has only one physical drive and two logical drives. The desktop system, on the other hand, has four physical drives and seven logical drives. Does search not work right if multiple physical drives are involved? My solution I consider not to be a true answer to the problem, but only a workaround. Several hundred thousand items have now been indexed, and search is working just fine. Once when I opened the control panel, I saw some settings are managed by your organization. Now, this seems to be a problem that's new with Windows 10. It's relatively easy to fix, but the fix isn't logical, and there's no reason why it should happen in the first place. 
This is a message you would see if you were in an office environment where an IT department had set certain policies and set the system so that you couldn't change them. If you see this message, you'll be unable to change most settings. The settings will be grayed out. Well, the fix is a registry tweak. You simply need to use RegEdit to navigate down through the current user, software, policies, Microsoft, Windows, current version, push notifications. And then you change the value of no toast application notification from 1 to 0. And what's odd about this fix is that no toast application notification will eventually be changed by the system back to 1. But the bogus some settings are managed by your organization message won't reappear. That makes the whole thing doubly illogical. And another couple of problems that I put in the distressing category. These came from David Sherman. Sherman and John Kramer are co-leaders of the Windows SIG at the Columbus Computer Society. Dave says he's going to go back to Windows 8. I'm not sure why he's choosing Windows 8.0 instead of 8.1. He says it's because Windows 10 is a janged product. Jang is shorthand for just ain't no good. Among the problems Dave notes are the addition of a phantom user in build 10532. That's the latest build in the fast ring. The current production build is 10,240. The fast ring users always see bugs that'll be gone by the time the code is moved to the slow ring or to the production release. Dave also notes that Microsoft has had problems with networking on Windows NT and later. It's been on all versions of Windows 10. On the other hand, I have a map network attached storage drive at home, and all three computers maintain connections without a problem. And that's not to deny that what Dave has reported is true, but only to say that so far it has not affected me. Dave also says OneDrive doesn't see all files. Syncing should be automatic across all machines, but it isn't. Is this, he asks, a Windows 10 problem or a OneDrive problem? Well, I believe that this was essentially an intentional change on Microsoft's part and is part one of what will be a two-part fix for a problem that vexed many users in version 8.1 of Windows. Previously, many users had trouble telling the difference between a shortcut to a file on OneDrive and a OneDrive file that had been synchronized to the local machine. Syncing is now an all-or-nothing procedure on a directory-by-directory -directory basis, so if I'm interpreting this properly... It's something that Microsoft is, at least, working on. In short circuits, it seems that most of us think the presidential campaign will be hacked. Now there's a comforting thought. As the 2016 presidential race heats up, data security company PKWare announced the results of a poll conducted by Wakefield Research. The poll examined American perceptions of the threat of political hacking. It also asked about which of the leading U.S. presidential candidates are most qualified to protect our nation from a growing onslaught of cybercrime. According to the survey, 64% of registered voters believe it is likely that a 2016 presidential campaign will be hacked. PKWare CEO Miller Newton says that data breaches that stretch to the highest levels of the U.S. government concern voters. It's hardly surprising that a majority of Americans believe that a presidential campaign will fall victim to hacking, says Newton. 
Behind every candidate, there are legions of operatives, allies, and adversaries sharing sensitive information. Whether foreign entities or campaign operatives and lone wolves based in the U.S., presidential campaigns offer what he calls unique staging grounds for what could be highly disruptive attacks. Among the survey results, there is, of course, a red-blue split. Registered voters are predictably evenly split on which political party has the best solutions for protecting personal information. 38% said Democrats, 36% said Republicans. Most registered millennials think Democrats have the best policy solutions. Hillary Clinton emerged as the leader on cybersecurity issues among the millennial generation. Within this influential demographic, 47% of registered millennials say that Clinton would be the presidential candidate most qualified to protect the U.S. from cyber attacks. In the wake of the ongoing debate over safety versus privacy, 56% of registered voters would be willing to allow the government to search their email, their internet browser history, phone calls, and text messages if it meant protecting the U.S. from a terrorist attack. My point of view on this one is that's frightening. In the land of the free and the home of the brave, more than half of us would allow government intrusion into areas that should be private. Another data point, superpower hackers. When it comes to cyber warfare, 51% of U.S. voters believe China to be the country with the best hackers, followed by the United States. 30% say we have the best. 13% say it's Russia and 7% North Korea. American cybersecurity seems to be a serious issue worth debating. Improved defense against hackers tops the list of cybersecurity issues that voters would most like to see the presidential candidates debate. About a third of voters say that. Followed by an identity protection plan for Americans at 26%. And collaboration with private business on safeguarding the Internet, 22%. But what do we know about security ourselves? In terms of personal security, most American voters are not taking advantage of available security tools that can protect sensitive personal data. Only 47% of voters use any kind of encryption to protect personal data. 23% didn't even understand the meaning behind the word encryption. Wow, that's disturbing. And finally, what are we worried about losing? Well, Social Security numbers represent the personal data that registered voters most worry about, 56% there, followed by 33% on bank information and 7% on Internet browsing history. But let's go back to that first point. Despite Hillary Clinton's email controversy, 42% of registered voters say that she is the presidential candidate most qualified to protect the United States from cyber attacks. She is followed by Donald Trump at 24%, Scott Walker at 18%, Jeb Bush at 15%. Organizations are being overwhelmed by security incursions that are themselves compounded by the increasing stack of detection tools. In the current cybersecurity environment, organizations tend to be reactionary. They have limited human response times that are unable to cope with high-volume machine speed incident detection. This is according to Refori Corporation, which announced the ability of 
DEFCON cyber software that's based on the NIST cybersecurity framework. Rafori says the application enables organizations to significantly reduce incident exposure times and measure its cybersecurity risk posture through the execution of its cybersecurity risk management strategy. DEFCON Cyber is offered as a cloud service or an application add-on to an existing Microsoft SharePoint Enterprise platform for organizations that don't have sufficient resources to respond and protect against every indicator of cybersecurity compromise. The cybersecurity framework, which is published by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, has initiated a national conversation about how to address the topic of cybersecurity risk management. The CSF lays out a broad approach for organizations of all types and sizes to adopt a risk management approach to cybersecurity protection for their organization. The extent to which cybersecurity risk management is driven by business needs and is integrated into the organization's overall risk management practices. DEFCON Cyber activates the procedure, and it enables execution of both process and outcome measures to help businesses keep an eye on their risk posture assessment. For more information, check out DEFCON Cyber. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. A news release from Intel this week forced me to check the calendar to see just how close we are to April Fool's Day. This is the information that Intel provided. Unfortunately, there wasn't any additional information, but it seems that Intel wants to get up close and personal with you, particularly if you're a woman. And check out the TechBiter Worldwide website for a series of pictures. Intel is partnering with Becca McCarran, CEO of architectural sportswear label Chromat, they're going to showcase an architectural-inspired sports bra built with Intel technology. It opens vents when it senses heat and sweat so that the body will cool down. The sports bra's intuitive response to perspiration and temperature is enabled by Intel Curie, a tiny hardware product that provides designers and makers the ability to add functions and capabilities to a wide range of wearable products. Next is the Memory Mirror by Memomi. It's featured at the New York Fashion Week 2015. It's an Intel-powered smart mirror that allows consumers to virtually try on clothes. Through gestures, customers can get a 360-degree view and see previous selections that they've tried on virtually. The digital mirror integrates with Intel RealSense technology and Core i7 processors. It is currently in select Neiman Marcus retail stores. And last, in another effort involving sportswear maker Chromat, we have a technology-enabled dress that expands and collapses its form based on when the garment senses stress or adrenaline from the wearer. It is enabled by Intel Curie, that's the tiny hardware product that provides designers and makers the ability to add functions and capabilities to a bunch of wearable products. Check out the pictures on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And check out Spare Parts, which is only on the website. Open Text delivers analytics to the cloud is the lead story this week. Localure expands, but still hasn't come to central Ohio. 
and Shakespeare comes to your smartphone. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.